Nick here. A quick reminder that our regular sidekick host, Brandon, is taking time away from podcasting. So for the next several episodes, I'll be joined by a new guest sidekick host every week. This week's sidekick host comes to us with plenty of podcast experience. It's Dr. Shiloh from the LA Not So Confidential podcast. But Dr. Shiloh is much more than just a podcaster. She is currently a law enforcement psychologist in Los Angeles, where she is part of the crisis negotiation team. She also specializes in forensic psychology in her private practice, where she provides clinical services and assessments for individuals facing the criminal justice system. Needless to say, Dr. Shiloh will be able to provide expert insight into many of the topics of today's episode. And I want to let you know that, yes, we're talking true crime documentaries, but for those of you that are maybe not into what you consider true crime, I want to let you know it's not all blood and guts and serial killers today. We're also talking white-collar crime, uh, scandals, pyramid schemes, that sort of thing. So I think there is a little something for everybody on this episode, even if you're not into quote-unquote true crime. Without any further ado, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Amell, and I'm joined by a very special sidekick host today. This is Dr. Shiloh from the LA Not So Confidential Podcast. I did say doctor, so she uh, will be able to give us some actual <laughs> expert insight into our topic today. Dr. Shiloh, thanks for being here. Well, I, it depends on the topic, for sure. <laughs> You'll do fine today, I think. Okay, good, good. It's not going to be like the most fashionable presidents in history or like something like that. No, th- no, <laughs> I didn't say a topic I'm an expert in. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Brandon is taking some time off from the show. So we're going to do a guest sidekick host every week here for a while including right now with Dr. Shiloh. Uh, She is the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, the LA Not So Confidential podcast, and she is currently a law enforcement psychologist in Los Angeles, which sounds very impressive. Do you want to uh, introduce yourself real quick? Better than I can. Sure, sure. Um, Yes, that is what I do right now. I'm a forensic psychologist is kind of just the big umbrella term that I use for everything that I've done in the psychology world. On our show, we like to touch on a lot of weird psych issues that sort of intersect with crime and true crime and the criminal justice system and and all of that goodness. Yeah. I sincerely recommend LA Not So Confidential to anyone who's into true crime. Highly, highly recommend it. And we'll talk more about your podcast later today too. But let's dive right into the topic. I brought Dr. Shiloh on because of her experience in the world of true crime. And today we're going to be talking about the top 10 best true crime documentaries of 2021. Ooh, 2021. H- how you feeling? Um, pretty good. Okay. okay. 2021. All right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I wanted to find the most watched or most viewed documentaries. I usually like to have a list based on something quantifiable. Sure. But couldn't find a good list for that. So I had to go with an opinion piece from decider.com where their editors listed the top 10 best true crime documentaries that were released in the calendar year 2021. I've seen some of these, but not all of them. I'm going to assume you've seen some of them too, just based on what I know about you. Okay. And I'm sorry, did you say this was Netflix only or this could be any? anything. Oh, good. Okay. But Netflix is very well represented. I'm sure. In fact, it's all streaming services. Uh, Probably no surprise there. I like today's list because, you know, we'll not only talk about the documentary itself, but also the story behind the documentary. So, it'll give us a chance to talk about some of the cases covered as part of this list. 
Um, and it's a good mix of, you know, I think what a lot of people think of when they think of true crime is serial killers and, you know, mm -hmm. violent crimes. And we are going to cover some of that. But there's also some, you know, scandals and scams and that sort of yeah. thing, too. So it's a good mix. What are some of your favorite true crime documentaries? Like just overall? Well, I have some that I recommend from 2021 that aren't on the list. So I won't give those away. Okay. Yet. But I love, I mean, I love a lot of things, but I tend to gravitate toward, I shouldn't say love. I don't love serial killers, but I am right. very interested in serial killers. We've done several episodes on them on my show. I was a guest on a Get Vocal with you about a year ago. We talked mm -hmm. about the smartest serial killers. So anything, anytime I see something about a serial killer, I'll usually go out of my way to watch it. Yeah. Colts is another one. Mm. I've done less so like the blue collar crime, you know. Blue the, collar uh, or white collar? Sorry, white collar. I always get those mixed <laughs> up. Because I want to see the blue collar yeah. <laughs> true crime documentary. Yeah. Yeah, what would that even be? Just like? a bunch of guys from like South Boston robbing <laughs> banks. <laughs> busting into it's happened. guitar shops or something. <laughs> Guarantee you it's happened. Yeah, so like some documentaries that stand out that are coming to mind are like the Nexium documentary series on HBO. Yeah. Which I think right. came out in 2020. The Scientology series that HBO did a few years ago, Going Clear. Yep. Do you have a preference on a documentary being like a film or a miniseries or like a full, you know, full season mm. show? I don't have a preference. I think I kind of lean towards like your, you know, traditional film type documentaries. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just trying to get in on sort of the little mini series trend, but I guess at the end of the day, I, I end up watching both of them. One of the first true crime documentary series that I can remember really getting into was the same one everybody got into, and that's Making a Murder on Netflix. Yeah. That's the yeah. first time I can remember like really being absorbed in a case. Totally. What's your take on that series? Uh, I, I'm married to a law enforcement officer as well, and I'm former law enforcement. And I remember he, he was a homicide detective for a number of years. And I just remember when these experts were up on the stand and making a murderer and just fully lying, you know, and yeah. covering up and all this bullshit. And I just remember I was like, please don't ever do that to me. Do not be that person. And he was yeah. like, who do you think I am? And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. But like, just like, don't be that small case in that town where there's a documentary made o over mm -hmm. it. And uh now careers are ruined, possibly people put in prison falsely, and the criminal justice system torn apart because yeah. of one testimony, you know? It's, it's interesting because, like, I can watch a true crime documentary series from my vantage point, and then you can, and your husband can, and you guys have, yeah. like, such a different perception than, like, we'll call it the general sure. public. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay, well, let's get to it. So, there's a lot of documentaries come out last year. If you have trouble, I can kind of give you some hints, but do you have any that are coming to mind? I have a couple that are coming to mind. I'm having a hard time differentiating between 2020 and 2021. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's going to be my struggle because for all of us, it feels like one time period. It does. So let me go with the Bundy tapes. The Bundy tapes, you know, I'm, maybe that was 2020, but it's not on this list. Okay. So it, it probably yeah. was. Probably You're probably going to be saying that to me a lot today. <laughs> yeah. Did you like that one? I feel um, like Ted no, Bundy's I, been so done at this point. Yeah, I don't even know that I listened past or watched whatever you want to call it, um, past like the first or second episode. Yeah. 
Firsthand accounts can be very interesting if there's a lot of meat there, information the person is actually giving. But if they're just dancing around a topic a lot, eh, I don't want to hear it. And Ted Bundy is like notoriously a bad, what do you call it, source of information? Sure. Poor historian. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. (laughs) That's how we call it when we do psych reports. They're a good historian or poor historian? Ted Bundy is a poor historian and he's not anywhere on this list. Okay, so I'm going to go with one that we talked about on our show. It was actually a really well-received episode when we talked about the psychology of MLMs, and I'm going to say Lula Rich. Lula Rich is on here. It's number four on the top 10. This, I have not seen this one. Have you? You must have. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's great. You'll like it. It's okay. done well. Lula Rich, number four. It's from Amazon Prime. So for each of these, I have like a one or two line review from the website where I pulled this list, which is decider.com. And the review here says it's an economic thriller that shows just how addicting yet toxic multi-level marketing companies can be. Dr. Shiloh, how many multi-level toxic marketing scams have you been a part of? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I realized more than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly like just as a consumer helping some friends out, but like products that I ended up using. But I realized I was a consultant to one of these a long time ago when I was into, of all things, scrapbooking and creative memories. Scrapbooking company is an MLM out of Utah, where a lot of these are out of. It's really, I I think it might be a Mormon-led company as well as like LuLaRoe was. But yeah, I was a consultant for them. I was kind of feeding my own habit. I got discounts if I was a consultant and, you know, I didn't throw parties and, you know, try to shove scrapbooking materials down people's throats (laughs) or anything. So, but yes, I was a part of it. Hopefully not literally or figuratively trying to shove scrapbook. Correct. Uh, You mentioned Mormons. They're going to come up more than once today. So there's a hint. Mm -hmm. But Lula Rich, it follows Lula Rowe, a clothing empire accused of being a pyramid scheme. It's an odd addition to this list because the company at its center, Lula Rowe, settled out of court. But Lula Rich makes a strong case that if the actions this company took weren't illegal, they were at least morally wrong. Well, since you've seen this and I haven't, do you want to give kind of like a 60-second overview of what worked about it for you? Yeah. The documentary was done very well. It's very vibrant. It's very visually appealing. And from the get-go, you have the couple that is the owners and creators of Lula Rowe sitting down for an interview. So whenever, you know, you're talking about an organization or entity, especially with the stuff that sort of borders on white collar crime, and you can have the person at the center of it sit down and talk, that adds a whole other layer of being able to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, which, you know, sometimes you think, why the hell is this person talking to a camera and giving all this information? We have our own theories about the narcissism that goes into you know, people can't help themselves sometimes. But I think that piece really lends to just the the novelty of that documentary. So you said you heard it from the horse's mouth. So how did the horses start this company? Okay, <laughs> this, is the start of, this is the start of a terrible joke. You don't have to respond to that. Okay. Yeah, but I've not seen this, but it's on my list now. So yeah, check it out. It's only also for many episodes and it's perfect. Like it's, you know, some documentaries are too much and you're just like, that could have been done in six, not 12, or you're wanting more. And this one was just the perfect size. Yeah. Done well. I do find that those like three to five episode series 
I usually feel pretty satisfied with those. Like even the um, Nexium documentary, I, I've really enjoyed that series overall, but I do remember, I think it's like 10 or 12 episodes. Toward the end, I was thinking like they could have probably wrapped this up in fewer episodes. Yeah. But neither here nor there. Do you have another guess? I do have some other guesses. Again, I'm kind of like, hmm, 2020, 2021. But this one, I'm going to go with something that's kind of obvious. So, crime scene vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. No, that is, that's on my list of recommendations that weren't on the list. Are you serious? It wasn't on the list. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Oh my gosh. And was it 2021? I believe so. Let me double check though. I'm going to tell you a story about this because I'm shocked. So a friend of mine that I work with is a detective that was featured on this. And yeah. he was like, yeah, like they, it was just like supposed to be some little independent documentary. And like they asked me to, to comment because I've worked Skid Row a lot and worked downtown. And it came out and I said, you don't. I remember having the conversation with him. I'm like, you don't understand how huge this is. Like mm -hmm. you are going to be in the number one documentary by the end of this weekend. And sure enough, it was like the perfect weekend where just it just took off. And, you know, everyone is so enamored with the Elisa Lamb story. Yep. I watched it the first weekend it came. Yeah. In. And he was like, really? You think so? And sure enough, it was just blew up. So, yeah, this is shocking. Yeah. And I love that documentary because like Elisa Lamb like anchors it, but it also touches on other stories that happen there. So many other things. Actually, kind of too many other things. It, they shoved I a lot in that. there. Yeah. But the Lisa Lamb story is so fascinating. Real quick aside, what's your take on that? What happened there? I think the documentary finally put it to rest. Like this was mm -hmm. a girl, a woman with some pretty moderate and severe when unmedicated mental health issues. And just like a lot of out-of-state, out-of-country out of tourists ended up staying in a hotel that was absolutely somewhere you would never want to stay. Yeah. And I say that not that something sinister happened to her, but that I can imagine all the stimuli that could really exacerbate any of the symptoms she was having unmedicated, that it just was probably a pretty tumultuous place to be and was just kind of that perfect storm of her having, you know, a psychotic break or, you know, a, a very severe manic episode where there were some psychotic symptoms happening there. And it's just terrible. It's yes. terrible for everybody involved, you know, terrible for cops that had to scour this 700 room hotel that is just ancient. And, you know, for whatever reason, people are human, they make mistakes and water tanks weren't checked. Yeah. For anyone that's not as well versed in this, Elisa Lamb was the young woman who was found in the water tank on top of the hotel. Right. And there was questions about how she got in there because I I if I recall, it was locked behind her, which I think was a like a mechanism of the... The door was at least shut. It, yeah, I, it was shut. Yeah. Right, right. Maybe not locked, but shut. Yeah, right, right. Anyway, I agree with your take, you know, in my expert opinion, <laughs> but it still doesn't change the fact that like that footage of her in the elevator is like some of the most captivating footage I've seen in a true crime. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I'd seen it before, but like... So bizarre. Like we don't normally have that kind of footage, especially of, you know, someone sort of in the midst of a mental health crisis. And, you know, everybody ran with it with all sorts of things. But yeah. very interesting place. It is um, as of a few weeks ago, the Cecil Hotel is now housing people who are unhoused in Los Angeles. 
Good. They have dozens of people that are getting housing inside of there. So it's actually you know, functional again, although not as a hotel. Like you, I'm surprised this, this documentary did not make the list. However, this documentary touched on a certain someone who stayed at this hotel. Ah. Who was you. that? Okay. Yeah, that was Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez. So the Night Stalker documentary. The Night Stalker documentary, which is Netflix, same as the Cesar Hotel documentary, also Netflix. But the yes. Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer is the docu-series on Netflix about Richard Ramirez. I've been excited to talk about this one because I have seen this one. This was, I thought, an excellent documentary series. It covers, well, I'll just read you the review from Decider. They say, Russell and James Carroll's four-part series doesn't lend its focus to the killer, which is Richard Ramirez, but rather to the meticulous police force that eventually arrested him. During a time when police missteps dominate the news, Night Stalker offers the rare and necessary guide to a case law enforcement handled well. Yeah. What do you think about that? So what, what number was this? Oh, I'm sorry. Seven. Seven. Okay. I agree. So I was a kid in Los Angeles at this time. Craziest summer ever. Um, not from my personal recollection, because my parents were you know, smart enough to like keep this out of my little like seven-year-old, eight-year-old mind mm -hmm. when it was happening. But in hindsight and hearing the stories of adults and my older brother, just how terrified the city was. And it was one of those cases early on, much later than it should have been, but early on where agencies were talking to each other and the investigations were done so well. And the LA County Sheriff's Department is just, their homicide bureau is just top-notch. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I thought there was really no use for showing the graphic photos that they showed of the victims. I'm starting to have an yeah. issue with that in a lot of these true crime documentaries. Like, what is it adding to the story? What's the purpose? They do that more and more now. Yeah, but aside from that one critique, I think it was done very well. And it, I loved that they're able to still talk to these detectives, you know, bring these guys back and, and hear it from them, hear it from their families, like the toll mm -hmm. it took on them and really painted a good picture of what it was like in the summer of 1984 in Los Angeles. Yeah. The, I mean, the city was just like held hostage because there was no rhyme or reason to victimology, location, any of that. Yeah. And you couldn't have written a better ending to the Richard Ramirez story mm. as far as the way he was captured. Oh, yeah. And it, like the Son of Sam documentary series, which is not on this list, that came out on Netflix last year, I thought both of those, that one and this one, the Ramirez one, did a good job of really painting the stress that it brought upon the city and the fear that was just in the air, which is really like one of the most important stories of the Richard Ramirez crime spree. So... Let's talk a little bit about Ramirez. Uh, well, actually, first, let me tell you about this documentary, and then we'll talk about Ramirez. This has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was looking at this Wikipedia page for this, and it, it listed the cast for the documentary, and Richard Ramirez was listed as the starring cast member, which I just thought okay. was a very odd way to frame his appearance in this. Richard Ramirez was an American serial killer, rapist, kidnapper, child molester, burglar, he was convicted in 1989, and you alluded to it. One of the things that made him so terrifying is his victims were all over the place in terms of age and ethnicity, those sorts of things. Because usually a serial killer will stick to an MO, meaning they'll kill the same type of victim, whereas this was very unpredictable. Mm -hmm. 
he would also invade homes. He's highly publicized home invasion and murder crimes to terrorize the residents of the greater LA area and San Francisco Bay area from 1984 to the August of 1985. And he had a victim as early as 19, April 1984 that wasn't even known until 2009. Talking about his MO a little bit, he used a wide variety of weapons and murder methods, including handguns, knives, machetes, tyrant irons, claw hammers. Again, like his variety of victims, the variety of weapons is something you don't often see in serial killings. Usually, the say, I mean, uh, you can correct me if I'm misspeaking on any of this, but from my research into serial killings, it's usually the same weapon for most of the killings and not such a variety, which made it even more difficult to track him down. Right. Yeah. Usually they'll stick with what they're comfortable with, mm -hmm. unless it's just totally about opportunity every time. But generally, we're not talking about opportunity with serial killers. We're talking about someone who's planning and who's pretty organized. So even just attack, like you were talking about, breaking into homes and attacking married couples, you know, then right. not, didn't care if there was more than one person necessarily in the home. Yeah, I mean, he also was known to attack by punching, pistol whipping, strangling, but he also stomped to death at least one of his victims, Joyce Nelson, in her sleep. He tortured an elderly woman, Mabel Bell, by shocking her with a live electrical cord and then severely bludgeoning her with a hammer. So I read that to just illustrate he was brutal. He was pure evil. Equally as scary is that he would often uh, degrade and humiliate his victims. Uh, he would force them to profess that they loved Satan mm -hmm. or telling them to swear to Satan. And finally, he was convicted in 1989, 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, 14 burglaries. Um, he never confessed any remorse all the way up until he died in June of 2013 while he was awaiting death row. He died of uh, lymphoma. Mm -hmm. So he spent uh, 24 years on death row before he died of cancer. Richard Ramirez, you know, he doesn't these days get the sort of Hollywood treatment, I'll call it, that like a Ted Bundy gets. But to me, he's always been one of the scarier ones just because of everything we talked about. Yeah, he, he's always held that position for me. I remember seeing the news broadcast when he was caught. And that was sort of my first exposure to the story as a child and feeling fear over it. And then I, I very much remember specifically my dad saying like, no, it's okay. Like he's been caught. And then fast forward to before I was a police officer, I was a police cadet and I was in charge of property and evidence. So I would have to take stuff down to the crime lab at the sheriff's department. And I remember walking down the hallways and they had these big framed pictures of famous cases and evidence they had worked on. And they had Richard, like one done of Richard Ramirez, almost like a shadow box. You know, it had the picture of him holding yeah. up his palm with the pentagram. But then it also had the bite marks that they had matched as well as the shoe prints. And just, I remember always being fascinated by that one when I walked by it. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago, Scott and I were at the sheriff's museum doing research for another episode oh, I and i that. look over mm -hmm. and there's this ugly 80s mustard colored chair sitting there and there's just a note like a piece of paper with a hand written note that says richard ramirez chair yeah and so we're about to leave and i look at the the deputy who's a historian i'm like i'm sorry can we talk about this real quick like what is right. this and he's like oh that's his chair from from the trial from court it's so crazy so crazy i know and yeah and the trial i mean we could talk about richard ramirez all day but like True. he just 
he made a circus of the trial and he loved to shock people and scare people. That's why he like, I think he yelled, praise Satan, right? During one of the yeah. trials. Which all evidence that I can recall is that he wasn't actually a Satanist. He just liked to freak people out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's Richard Ramirez. He's not the only serial killer we'll talk about today. Okay. So I, I was going to actually kind of stay on this wavelength because I did not watch this one. I don't even know what it's called, but I'm going to take a guess. But I think it also has like firsthand recordings from someone. And I think it was a John Wayne Gacy. Like I remember hearing yep. the trailer for it or commercial for it, but I never saw it. Is there one? Yeah, I did see it. And it's okay. number five. So quick recap. Wow. Seven was the Richard Ramirez documentary on Netflix. Four was Lula Rich on Amazon Prime. And now we're going to talk about number five, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise, mm. which is uh, the only Peacock entry on today's list. Oh, okay. The Peacock, you know, <laughs> I know they're like far behind in the streaming wars, but they, they have some interesting documentaries uh, on there. I've been, I was kind of turned on to them through this documentary. So John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise is number five. Most true crime fans know the story of John Wayne Gacy, but rarely has this terrifying saga been told as thoroughly as director Rod Blackhurst handles it. Under his direction, the estimated 33 murders Gacy committed weren't merely the work of a single unhinged man. They happened because of this man and the countless systems of power that turned a blind eye to his wrongdoings. Devil in Disguise extends the blame for his legendary crime speed to include Chicago itself. And that's an interesting flip from what we just talked about with the Ramirez, where the LAPD did such a great job bringing him to justice, whereas this documentary kind of puts some of the blame on Chicago itself, and not just the hmm. law enforcement, but other powers in the city. Like political corruption or? I'd have to rewatch to refresh my memory, but I know that the, the documentary really pointed a finger at all the times that John Wayne Gacy could have been caught, should have been caught, but weren't due to negligence. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find it interesting to kind of hear from him firsthand? Yeah, that's, so that's another good point, is obviously Richard Ramirez is long dead since his documentary that we just talked about, but John Wayne Gacy, well, he's dead too, I should say, but he, they had old footage of him mm -hmm. uh, doing an interview in prison, I believe in the early 90s. And it was so fascinating, and I'd seen some of that footage before, but He's so disassociated from the crimes. He talks about them as if they happened to someone else. Oh. He had a whole binder full of the case that he had researched. Like, so he had a binder. It was super thick of just his own research into each murder case. The interviewer would ask him a question and he'd flip the binder to that case and be like, oh, no, this and that. Huh. But my big, take, my big takeaway from it is that he never took any accountability for the murders. And in fact, I think he may have even point blank said I didn't commit the murders and that they pinned all these crimes on him. And wasn't there sort of the I was led to believe from the commercials that like he didn't do it alone? Were those? Yeah. Some, I mean, so how does he say he didn't do it, but then he also didn't do it alone? His story was that there were people in his house because he had uh, people at his house all the time. Including yeah, we young know there boys. were people at his house. But yeah, oh. well, exactly. In more <laughs> like, ways than literally. one. There were, peop there were young boys in his house that he had over and they would sleep there sometimes. Boys that he would have like do contract work ah. for his construction company. And he would say that they would kill people and do it in his house and hide them under his house without him knowing, which... Got it. I think I have that right. I'm not buying it, obviously. Yeah. 
for those that are less aware, John Wayne Gacy had, he was proven to have killed 33 people, probably more, and 20-something of them were found under the crawl space of his house, which it's a small mm-hmm. little house in a Chicago suburb, so like... They were stacked up, is what you're saying. Yeah, they, they were stacked up and like you did not have to dig very far under the crawl space to find a body. Jeez. How someone can get away for that with that for so long in like this little suburban neighborhood is just beyond right. Me. Just missing kid after missing kid. Yeah, I know. And just like the, the evidence too of like the smell coming from the house all the time. He had a family. He had a wife and kids there at different times in that house while there were dead bodies underground. Mm-hmm. So it's just incredible. But a little more about him. Uh, he was known as the killer clown who assaulted and murdered at least thirty-three young men and boys. He regularly performed at children's hospitals and charitable events as Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. He would lure a victim to his home, dupe him into donning handcuffs on the pretext of demonstrating a magic trick, and then rape and torture the victim before killing them by either asphyxiation or strangulation. 26 of the victims were buried in the crawl space of his home. He hid others elsewhere on his property. Four were discarded in the Des Plaines River. His conviction for 33 murders then covered the most homicides in U.S. legal history. He was sentenced to death on March 13, 1980. He spent much of his time painting on death row. I know a lot of his paintings have been sold for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And he was executed finally by lethal injection on May 10, 1994. If anyone ever wants to do a magic trick and it involves handcuffing you, just nope out on that one. Like, yeah. And move also, on to the next person next to me. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. I mean, from what I know of John Wayne Gacy, there's like, I don't know, maybe 10 warning signs even before the handcuffing came. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. But he would intentionally target, you know, young, desperate people that maybe saw sure. some of those warning signs but tried to rationalize them away, you know. But still, I don't know, John Wayne Gacy, man, he, he's so fascinating too because he was prominent in the community. He owned KFC restaurants in the community. He had a construction company. He was pretty successful, mm-hmm. at least on paper. Yeah. Who knows how many bodies are hiding under Ted Cruz's crawl space is one takeaway. Right, right. Yeah, well, we'll find out one day. Can't hide forever, Ted. Tom Gacy. Heavy stuff today, huh? It is. It is. I'm like, hmm, how can I make this lighter? I know. Actually, I'm guessing that Tiger King 2 is not on there. Like, had anybody watched Tiger King 2? I told myself (laughs) I would because I was part of the Tiger King 1 phenomenon. And it did happen in Oklahoma. Oh, right, right. Which is where I live in Oklahoma, but it's from a part of Oklahoma I'd never heard of. No Tiger King on the top 10. You've heard of Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Paramount Plus. But something those services don't have is grade A quality content about top 10 lists. That's why we're bringing the world the fresh tennis content it needs with Tennis Pod Plus. Tennis Pod Plus is our rebranded Patreon program where you can get 30 plus exclusive bonus episodes right now with more added every month. Recent bonus episodes include the life and times of Dr. Phil, world monkey news headlines, top 10 most popular colors, and many more. Not only that, but Tennis Pod Plus members get early access to ad-free versions of our main episodes. If that's not enough, you'll also enjoy free merch and swag, monthly giveaways, and more. And now, introducing our hell of an asset tier, where small business owners can advertise their business on Tennis Podcast every month with custom ad reads by Brandon and yours truly. Are you ready to add some more plus to your life? It's easy. Simply go to TennisPod.com slash plus, select the tier you want, 
starts at just $2 and follow the steps to be signed up within minutes. Or if you're listening to my lovely voice right now on Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is go to our Apple Podcast page and tap the subscribe button near the top. In one tap, it will charge your Apple Pay payment method and you'll unlock immediate access to all of the content you're looking for. So get your beautiful bum bum moving and sign up now to start enjoying all of the sensual benefits of Tennis Pod Plus. Go to tennispod.com slash plus, that's P-L-U-S, or sign up through Apple Podcasts. Do it now so you never have to listen to another shitty ad like this again. So you alluded to this earlier. It's like murders within the Mormons or something like that. <laughs> I actually didn't watch it. My husband did, and he doesn't even like true crime. But that's Mormon, murdering Mormons, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So clearly you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I actually do kind of know the story of like the con man behind it. But um, mm-hmm. but yes, is that on the list? Whatever it it's is. called. <laughs> Murder Among the Mormons. Bingo. Is number eight. It's another Netflix. And I did see this one. I think it was three, one of those really short, like three or four episodes. Damn, is it interesting because it's, it's got murder in it, as the title suggests, but it's also more of a, it's a forgery uh, crime. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So the review from, where the fuck did I pull this? I forgot. Decider. (laughs) The review from Decider says that this Stranger Than Fiction docuseries may have a compelling title, but the crime at its center isn't exactly one of murder. Instead, it's one of forgery and the mass exploitation of an entire religion. The series follows Mark Hoffman, a Mormon who claimed that he found several sacred texts connected to the Church of Latter-day Saints. His path of scams led him to detonating multiple bombs that murdered two people. Oh. So his uh, most famous forgery was the Salamander Letter. Do you know what that is? I do not. The Salamander Letter, uh, which he said he found in 1984, is supposedly written by Martin Harris to W.W. Phelps. The letter presented a version of the recovery of the gold plates that contrasted markedly with the church-sanctioned version of events. Do you follow me? So, Yes. Quick religious history lesson. The gold plates were allegedly found by Joseph Smith. Uh, the founder of Mormonism, and the gold plates were put there for Joseph to find and thus transcribed them to the Book of Mormon. But the Salamander letter, it says that Smith had been practicing money digging through magical practices, but also replaced the angel that Smith had peered to him with a white salamander. So instead of an angel appearing to Joseph Smith and saying, hey, here are these fucking plates, asshole, it was actually a white salamander that did it. Oh, yeah. okay, of course makes sense i actually find that the most interesting part of the whole documentary because it goes into this whole thing where because before you realize that he forged it you're thinking this is the real salamander letter which some 1800s letter that you know went against the church sanctioned version of how mormonism was founded and it went into this whole thing about how the church of latter-day saints went through all this trouble to like shut up this guy and deny that this letter exists and it's more so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like Rather than accept that, oh, maybe our religion was founded on a false premise or there's other events of our religion that we didn't know of till now, they'd rather just hide it so that they can continue on with the version of events they're most comfortable with. Totally. It's like the Da Vinci Code. Come on. Yes, exactly like that. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah, I I know it was, they're kind of luring you with the murder title. (laughs) Come here for the murder, but we're going to give you a lot more. (laughs) It's a lot like this podcast. Come here for the murder. There you go. Yeah. Well, yes. anyway, it was really good. Rotten Tomatoes gave it 88%. Oh. I won't say right. more because I'll spoil it, but it's worth a watch. 
I'll have to go back and put it on my list then. Yeah. For sure. But are white salamanders a thing even? Or is that? I mean, I guess it makes it more holy, perhaps. An albino salamander. Oh, albino. Yeah, I'm seeing some pictures of some salamanders. Okay, so white (laughs) salamanders do exist. Okay, so that part's true. Yeah. That's a wild story. Um, And I do like when there's more than sort of one crime layered in there. Because, again, for me, I'm like, what is the motive for this person here? Like, does he just want to fuck with them? And like see what kind of stuff he can stir up is this about attention is this about him showing how he can get away with something so all the above yeah like like hard to get away with forgery like people who do these amazing forgeries is it's a talent and he fooled everyone i mean for a while anyway and the scope of his forgeries is huge and it you're right mm-hmm. because if you really like put yourself in the mindset like the effort and that it takes to pull off the forgery and not just that, but the balls, honestly, to sure. like say, not only am I choosing to go down this path of forgery, I'm going all in on it. I'm doubling down on it and I'm putting everything yeah. at stake for these forgeries. And for a while it worked. Right. Yeah. When, when they can dupe the experts that have yes. built yeah. very prestigious careers on deciphering all of this. It's really interesting. There's a really good book out there called Veritas, and it is about a person who basically forged the ancient scroll that said that Mary was Jesus's wife and Mm. like had completely duped like the Harvard professor who who lives for this stuff. I mean, she's like top of her game. And it's just fascinating because you're thinking like this person is just like some dude sitting in a basement and he can, no like, it's totally anyway and it's it's a very good book it's excellent um good true crime stuff because of the con man angle to it but you're just like really what is driving this person because it's not always financial i think that's the easy right. sort of thing to land on is that like oh well they're gonna make out financially somehow but i think it's just about the fact that they're like haha yeah it's I a power it. thing it is <laughs> yeah aside here but like that's one reason like i personally when i when i look at the bible it's like all of that stuff is predicated on the fact that it was written and handed down over several generations and that how many you know quote unquote white salamander letters are there out there that could mm. contradict what it says in the bible but we don't have to go down sure. that route so i conned you into appearing on this show today why don't you <laughs> okay. uh, give me another guess <laughs> I'm out of like hard guesses, so I'm trying to think of like maybe very newsworthy true crime stuff mm-hmm. from maybe the year before. I'm trying to think like how long it takes to make a documentary about something. I would guess that there's probably something in there about the Lori Laughlin like college scandal stuff yes. that was just so huge. How could it not? So I know there's probably a made-for-TV movie, and if there's that, then there's probably a documentary. <laughs> there is. It's on Netflix. Number 10 is Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal. And they turned that shit around quick. That's on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix because this is what, uh, 2019. <laughs> so that... I mean, right. What, yeah. what number was this? 10. Oh, okay. Operation okay. Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal. And this is, oh like we've been saying, the documentary that covers the Laurel Hofflin, among others, uh, okay. that, well, let's just go through it is directed by Chris Smith and the review from Decider says, as far as documentaries go, it's fairly by the books and offers little to new information, which probably because it just happened, they need more distance yeah, between. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. 
2019, a scandal arose over a criminal conspiracy to influence undergraduate admissions decisions at several top American universities. The investigation into the conspiracy was codenamed Operation Varsity Blues, and it was the largest of its kind to be prosecuted by the U.S. Justice Department. At least 53 people have been charged as part of the conspiracy. It includes 33 parents of college applicants who are accused of paying more than $25 million between 2011 and 2018 to William Rick Singer, organizer of the scheme, who used part of the money to fraudulently inflate entrance exam test scores and bribe college officials. He said he unethically facilitated college admissions for children in more than 750 families. Singer and the staff he bribed and the parents who are alleged to have used bribery and fraud to secure admission for their children to 11 universities. So this would include Laura Laughlin, who you mentioned from Full House fame. Mm -hmm. She went to Rick Singer and together they bribed, I don't remember which university it is. USC. Okay, USC, into letting Mm -hmm. her child into the school. Yes. So she was sentenced to two months in prison, two years of supervised release, $150,000 fine, and 100 hours of community service. How does that, based on what you know of the crime, how does that sentencing sound to you? So I'm pretty familiar with federal sentencing. Mm -hmm. A lot of my work was working with federal crimes, mostly sex crimes. Before I was a law enforcement psychologist, I work with primarily high-risk sex offenders, and a lot of it was internet crimes. So that all of the internet stuff is federal and they have very strict guidelines as far as sentencing goes. And a lot of it is pretty archaic. Like it's super, super severe. You know, like we hear about people going to prison for the rest of their life or marijuana possession and things like that. They're, they're just very slow to change. However, there are crimes that can have sentences that I think that people think are too light, but a lot goes into working. And there's a whole formula. There's a whole rubric that goes into how the federal system comes up with what they come up with. So for bribing somebody, it was two months total. Is that what she got? Two months prison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds so, so low. I didn't know anything was really under a year for prison, to be honest. I think that might be the time that she really actually just spent there. That could be. Yeah. I did pull this from Wikipedia for what it's worth. Uh, Well, there you go. But I don't know. I mean, it's hard to quantify something like that. It's prison. I mean, it's federal prison. That's... We're putting you on record right now, Dr. Shiloh. Yes or no, you think they should serve life in prison? Death penalty. (laughs) No. No? (laughs) No. 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 I'm not for the death penalty for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Life in prison. Yes. For some people. Two months for bribing. Okay. You know, it's a hefty I mean, fine, 150000 Although for her, I don't know if that's hefty, but... But, fun fact, it was pretty um, <laughs> astonishing to hear how much Orange is the New Black got right. I, I mean, they definitely did their homework. Federal prison is so unique of its own, but there's some little tidbits that when I worked with a pretrial population for folks going into federal prison... That you just don't know about, you know, like Orange is the New Black specifically had a part in their pilot. It was something totally obscure that they got right. And nobody would know that. But that's a little bit of the work that I did was working with folks to prepare them for federal prison. And that's definitely a thing. Yeah. And that's something you don't really think about or see portrayed too often in, you know, film or TV shows. So tell me about that. So like people that are, they've been sentenced to prison, they know they're going to prison. 
How do they mentally prepare for what to expect in prison? Well, like we heard, I think with Lori Laughlin or, uh, you know, some of the other people involved in that, you heard that they had sort of hired consultants. Yeah. I think there is a difference. There's consultation. That might be an expert who is someone who has done prison time. And now they have come out. They've made this business for themselves where they consult with people. My stance was more psychology related. So they were coming to therapy. But as part of the therapy, Mm. not only are we managing anxiety and depression, but we're also starting to get them to wrap their heads around the fact that they are going to prison because many of the people I worked with were first time offenders. So this was completely rocking their world. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You think? I know. I know. I can imagine. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have a lot of scared people, a lot of people that were good standing in their community, families, jobs. This is not your in and out of prison career criminal. So completely foreign to them. All they've seen is like lock up on you know television. Mm-hmm. And yes. you do a couple of things. You explain how federal prison is not state prison and they are much different in a good way. But also the ins and outs like, you know, don't uh, do favors for people because then you're mm-hmm. going to, you know, there's going to be something in return. There's a lot of little ins and outs, and I would try and gather stuff from people who had been there. I would even have speakers come and talk to them sometimes when I was running a group of pretrial folks. So I think the scariest thing is the unknown, and the most that we could sort of alleviate that people found helpful. Well, I just know, just for myself, I know myself enough to know that I would be a fucking wreck in like the days leading up to prison. So it's interesting and good that there's people that can, like you, that can help people prepare for that. And I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. If you had to like sum up your top one or two tips to a first time offender going to prison, what would you say? First is stay busy because people go crazy because they don't find a daily routine and they're just constantly worrying about everything's going on. So I would say find a routine, stay busy. Everybody gets a job in federal prison, so you get assigned one no matter what. But that could be like, okay, once a day you fill the napkin holders. It's not going to take up your whole day. So you have to find things <laughs> mm-hmm. to do. Gosh, I was... Hang on. Is that a real thing, the napkin holders? <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's a job? That's a real job. <laughs> but wouldn't that take like, I don't know, 30 minutes? Or I don't... I, maybe it's... Maybe I'm way off. But it's that... not a lot. There are a, li- a ton of little jobs like that that they have to give to some people. Mm. And that, that's what I'm saying. Like, You know, you think of jobs as like, oh, are they sitting there making license plates all day or something? There are those jobs. And actually, those are the really coveted jobs because those jobs actually pay. But Mm. there are jobs that are just sort of to keep the place running, too, and to give someone a little something to do. But yeah, I I would say the other one is just um, about the company that you keep and trying to make social connections, but also not get involved in the drama. Would you say it's a bad idea to try to stay by yourself or, you know, not be social? I would say it would be very difficult. It's just, it's going to happen. Human nature, we're going to socialize anyway. Um, It's just, just choose wisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if you ever find yourself going to prison, just call me and I'll be your consultant. (laughs) Believe me, I'm going to call you. Just, yeah, be on standby for that. You got it. And you mentioned like the license plate making and stuff, a job that pays well and they're coveted and it's something to do. Right. That's how I feel about this show sometimes. It's something to do. I'm still waiting to get paid well, though. Sure, sure. Yeah. You feel a little bit like you're in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's really interesting. So thanks for that insight. Sure. Let's tie a bow on this. So that was number 10, Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal. 
Real quick recap of where we are. We had eight, Murder Among the Mormons, seven, The Night Stalker, five, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise, and four, Lula Rich. Got it. Do you have any other guesses off the top of your head or, or do you want me to kind of steer you in the right direction? Well, since I was kind of looking at newsworthy topics, was there anything with the USA Gymnastics team with Larry Nasser and the sexual abuse? Oh, yeah. No, there isn't, but that's, okay. that seems like maybe it should have been on here. Got it. There is something sports related. There is something sports related. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if that's going to help. What else? What else is left? <laughs> okay. So let's stay on the sports one for a moment. So okay. it's a sports series on Netflix. It's not just one sport. It's a bunch of sports. Hmm. But Does it's not help? the Olympics. No, it doesn't help. So no, if, you wanna, okay. if we want to get to this one, go on ahead. Yeah. I'll tell you. I hadn't seen this one either. Uh, it's called Bad Sport on Netflix. It's number nine. And the write-up from Decider says, there's a good chance you've been sleeping on this Netflix gem. Yes. Apparently. Each episode of this six-part series tells a different criminal saga in the world of professional sports, and each one is wilder than the last. So although I haven't heard of this one, it intrigues me because, even though I'm not a sports guy, because number one, it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. And number two, it says, who doesn't want to watch a documentary about a major weed dealer who became a race driver on the side? a race car driver on the side, or a blatant cheating scandal during Olympics-level figure skating. Oh, this sounds good. I think yeah, we, it does sound good. we had done an episode on killer athletes specifically and yes. talked about Aaron Hernandez and Oscar Pistorius. So sounds like a good one. Yeah, the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix, good too. So I good. think it was 2020 as uh, though, so it's not going to be on this list, but I recommend that one. Haven't seen Bad Sport, but sounds like it might be worth watching. Do you think there's any, like, checkers or chess stars going through, like, <laughs> They're so giant scandalous. scandals? <laughs> um, I doubt it. I would love to see some cornhole playing, <laughs> maybe some axe throwing, you know? Yes, yes. Some bowling. Or, you know, like, esports is a thing now. Oh, so, right. like, people professionally, uh, not, I was about to say athletically, not <laughs> the case, no. playing video games. There's got to be some good scandals hidden around in that world. Yeah, I'm sure. They're probably talking to minors online yeah. while they're playing video games or something. Know there's a scandal in this house today. We we're playing. I was playing Super Smash Brothers on the Switch with my kids, and I haven't been able to prove it yet, but I think my seven-year-old might be cheating. Oh. Uh, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, investigate that, please. Okay, well, since we haven't seen Bad Sport, let's just say we're going to watch it someday, but we're not going to talk about it now. So you still have number six, Three, two, and one. Let me give you some hints here. Okay. Number six, uh, it's about trying to say it without giving it away, but a person's weight loss program. I'll just say that. Um, and like scamming people, I'm guessing, with that. Yeah. Doesn't sound familiar. Ugh. We're getting Dr. up there, Shiloh, too. I, know, I brought we, you on as an expert. Right? And I got some towards the bottom, but not even the top three. <laughs> oh, this is embarrassing. Okay. So something with weight loss, a scam. Mm, nothing's coming to mind. Nothing that I've seen. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen it either, to be fair. Okay. I would not okay. guess this. There we go. It's called The Way Down, and Way is W-A-Y. The Way Down. It's on HBO Max at number six. Have you heard of Gwen Shamblin Lara or Laura? No, I have not. Well, Tell me about her. Apparently, her diet program called Way Down Workshop 
isn't too fun. There are no zany founders or delightfully wild stories in this documentary to lift the mood. There's only a woman who ruthlessly exploited two of her victims' biggest insecurities, their weight and their religious devotion. This sounds interesting. Again, I haven't seen it because we start with her weight loss program, which exploited her customer base. Uh-huh. But then also she founded a church. I was going to say. In 1999 in Franklin, Tennessee. It's sounding very culty too. Yes. And I like, you can just found a church now. Like, yeah. I don't know. She On 40 acres too in Brentwood, Tennessee. Oh. Yeah. 40 acres of church. But this is some fucked up shit. So listen to this. This woman, Shamblin, who made her millions with her weight loss program, founds this church, and she was known to teach parents to hit their children with glue sticks. (laughs) I'm sorry. Put a pin on that. We're going to come back to the glue sticks. She'd teach parents to hit children with glue sticks, wooden spoons, and other items to teach them to obey without any thought. She taught them that if they did anything other than what their parents told them to do, they deserved it. She said, quote, the way you show God you are answering to him is through obeying your mother and father on the first time. If you obey on the second or third time, you are being your own God, and no one playing around like that can ever go to heaven, so you will only live a few years on earth, and you have a horrible afterlife. If you don't obey mommy and daddy on the first try, you will be taken out, and you will be very, very sorry. Before you respond to anything, I want to know... (laughs) And everything. Is that taken directly from your consultations on getting people ready for prison? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Child abuse is never funny, first off, but... Correct. What is happening here? I mean, weight loss, cult, strong parenting advice, and verbally terrifying these children. And hitting them with glue sticks. Hitting, okay. Which, again, as you said, it's not funny, but taking aside the child abuse thing for a woman, I just want to know, like, is the parent getting a glue stick out and, like, taking the lid off, unscrewing it, and then just, like, whipping like their head over and over. I don't understand. And it's that so specific. It, it is like wooden spoons. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah. You know, wire hangers, you know, whatever you got laying around. But this is very specific and very odd. So yes, I don't know. I don't think I'd be able to grip enough of a glue stick to hit a kid with it. And it would break. Well, yeah. Those you, glue sticks aren't very strong. If you have the thing screwed all the way up and you're trying to hit them with it, just get, you know, sticky. I'm sorry to stick with the wooden spoons. I mean, I don't... Right. (laughs) Leave the glue sticks out of it. You know, that's the thing that tells me this cult is a sham, is the glue stick part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also, like, I don't know, just because you become a millionaire showing people how to lose weight doesn't mean you're entitled to found your own religion and guide parents on disciplining their children. But hey, what do I know? Wow. She sounds like a peach. Sounds like good documentary fodder. Yeah. Speaking of her being a peach, let's talk about this. On May 29th, 2021, uh, so this is pretty recent, the woman, Gwen, and her six church leaders, including her husband, Joe, and son-in-law, Brandon, they were all killed in a private jet bound for Palm Beach, Florida, crashed into Percy Priest Lake shortly after takeoff in Tennessee. But upon her death, it was found that her will left none of her multi-million dollar fortune to her own church. Really? Wow. Yeah. Spoiler alert, she dies. Can you imagine? Yeah, sorry, I guess, spoiler, but can you imagine, Dr. Shiloh, say you, you and Dr. Scott found a church today mm-hmm. based on your, your podcast success. And we have a son named Brandon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you have private jets, obviously, you're flying around the country. And can you imagine not leaving 
part of the inheritance to your church, which in theory was founded to help people. Right. And what made us our money, right? And it's everything we believe in. We put our whole heart and soul into it. I need to know where that money was left to. But I'm guessing she didn't think her entire family would be obliterated. True. But you got to plan ahead. You got to plan ahead. Mm. Maybe uh, she left the fortune to glue stick. Corporation, fa- a factory Elmer's. somewhere. Elmer. <laughs> Elmer's, there you go. Shout out to today's sponsor. Oh my gosh. Haven't seen this. You haven't either. But of all the ones that we've talked about, this one is high on my list to watch because it just sounds so crazy. It sounds like a Tiger King it type. It sounds totally. And yeah. the way down, why didn't they spell it like weight the way down if it's a weight loss program? And they crashed. So now there. the way down, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I can imagine people sitting around in a boardroom yes. weighing the, ugh, weighing, okay. no pun intended, weighing the pros and cons of what each spelling it. of the way. Because I could see it going both ways. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that was number six, the way down. So I think, yeah, you just have the top three now. Top three. Expert true crime podcaster. Prove your worth here and give me a guess for the top three. I know I watched more television last year than... What about where these top three were streaming? Maybe that'll help me. Yeah, you got two of them on HBO and one on Netflix. Oh, okay. Another Netflix one there, huh? Um, You have a true crime in the true sense, you know, murder. You have a court case named after a court case, in fact, about sexual abuse. And you have another that's kind of in the vein of the last one we talked about. Kind of, you know, sketchy, rich people doing rich people things. (laughs) Got it. So I think I did see one of these is the Woody Harrelson, Mia Farrow. That was HBO. So I know I saw that on that. Yes. This has been on my list to watch. I haven't watched it yet. Alan V. Farrow is number one from HBO. Directed by Kirby Dick. Unfortunate name. Mm. Because, again, I just played Super Smash Brothers today. There's a character named Kirby. Yes. I won't get into it. I don't want to know about Kirby's dick. This series makes this already murky case feel all the muddier, according to this write-up. It says, The series examines the sexual assault allegation made against Woody Allen by his adopter daughter, adopted daughter, Dylan Farrow, in 1992, who was seven when the abuse allegedly occurred. It follows the custody battle between Woody Allen and his former partner, Mia Farrow, his marriage to her adopted daughter, Soon Yi Previn, mm-hmm. who is 35 years his junior, and the events of subsequent years. So there's a lot to unpack just there yep. that I didn't know about, because this was all kind of before my time, or I was very young. So Woody Allen marries this woman, Mia Farrow. Her and his adopted daughter is who he allegedly sexually abuses. The other adopted daughter, Soon Yi Previn, who's 35 years younger than him, he marries. Yes. Am I right on all that? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was fascinating. Um, it's a fascinating years-long story because all of the stuff with him and Soon Yi getting together was like mm-hmm. the scandal that came out. And people were like, well, yeah. I think they aren't related. And then years later, the alleged abuse of Dylan Farrow, Dylan being a girl, came out. I remember that very specifically because I was already working in sex offender risk assessment and treatment and just being a very powerful story of hers when she decided to sort of go public with it in a a written format, like she did an article in a major publication. And it just really gave you food for thought because, you know, you now, you, you not only have 
all of those horrific things happening, but somebody who is not just quote unquote in Hollywood, but legendary. And you saw how it divided the entertainment community as well with people not wanting to believe it and turning a blind eye and will they continue to work with them or not? So justifying it to themselves and and to the public. Oh, totally, totally. But I I thought the documentary is very good. So I'm glad this is on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, too. Mm -hmm. A little bit more about it. It says that in response to the sexual abuse allegation, Woody Allen sued his then wife, Mia Farrow, for the sole custody of Dylan, their other kids, Satchel and Moses. He lost the case in June of 93, though the judge agreed that the allegation of sexual abuse had not been proven. Dylan has repeated the allegation several times as an adult. Mia, the mom slash wife, is accused of child abuse by two of her other children, Moses and Sun Yi, who also accuse her of false allegations and of, quote, brainwashing Dylan. In a 2018 letter, Moses, Dylan's older brother, who felt in charge of carefully watching Dylan the afternoon she was allegedly molested and who was 14 at that time, explains in detail why he believes the allegation is false and describes his forced support of Mia as the biggest mistake of his life. Hmm. He tweeted, so many times I saw my mother try to convince her that she was abused and it has worked. Yeah, I think, like we said, complicated. The documentary does a very good job of covering all those sides and then letting the viewer decide for themselves what is true, what isn't. It's probably somewhere in the middle of a lot of those things. Yeah, and it sounds like no matter what the truth is about the abuse, it destroyed this family. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's the defining moment of this family. And it's still being felt to this day. Yeah, it's, it's one of those pop culture sort of stories, too, because we can forever have the argument about, can you enjoy the art of someone who's done something horrible or... I've heard the sentiment of, you know, when an artist sort of makes art like that and then puts it out into the world, it kind of belongs to all of us now and is no longer theirs and we can still enjoy it. Maybe that's like Michael Jackson. Yeah, I just like to listen to Michael Jackson jam still. And maybe that's how I rationalize it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But I draw my line at R. Kelly. So, you know, but there's good (laughs) art and there's bad art. I don't know. (laughs) Couldn't have put it any better. Well said. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think everyone has to make that decision for themselves on where the line is between, for like for you, the line was R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. <laughs> and it's going to be different for everyone. And we don't really know what happened for, with Michael Jackson or with Alan versus Furrow. True. We have whatever. We yeah. don't know what happened. So all you can do is go off the evidence and make a decision on if you're going to enjoy their art or not. Yeah. Yeah. Is the R. Kelly docuseries on here? No. Huh. I'm not sure if, I wonder if that was 2020. I don't know either. But that, man, that was good. 2019. Oh. And Leaving Neverland. Where are we? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Was Leaving Neverland last year? (laughs) It's 2019. That's three years ago now. Oh, my God. What timeline are we on? Absolutely. Okay. So that was one of the HBOs. We have one HBO, one Netflix left. Yeah. Um, I'm stumped at this point. All right. Let me help you, Dr. Shiloh. Thank you non-Dr. Nick. Number three is this woman, Elizabeth Carmichael, rose to fame with the creation of The Dale, a fuel-efficient three-wheeled car. Is that ringing a bell? Uh, No. (laughs) Okay. The Lady and the Dale at number three, HBO. Hmm. I haven't seen it either, but again, like so many on this list, I'm going to watch it now. The review says, no matter what direction you think this true crime saga will go, prepare for it to veer off course. This is a wild ride. 
Again, it kind of gives me Tiger King vibes. Yeah. Which, again, it's like you're watching Crash TV and every time you think it can't get any crazier, it does. <laughs> Everything's a wild ride. It's, uh, again, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Uh, this entrepreneur, Elizabeth Carmichael, she created this fuel-efficient three-wheeled car in 1970, the Dale. As the car rose to prominence, it thrust Carmichael into media scrutiny about the car's technology and her own past. During the 1970s energy crisis, Carmichael promoted a prototype for a low-cost, fuel-efficient car via 20th Century Motor Car Corporation, but she fled with investor money. So she gets all these investors lined up for this game-changing, fuel-efficient, three-wheeled car, and then she's out of there. She's scammed. She was charged with 31 counts of grand theft, fraud, and corporate security violations. She went into hiding. So this is in the 70s. She was finally featured in a 1989 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, cool. And I'm going to stop there because to go any further would be spoilers. But from what I read after that, it's insane. Okay, so I googled the car to see what this awful thing looks like. But then there's like a promo picture of this is so 70s. The car obviously is It's this bright, ugly yellow, you know, Oh yeah. two wheels in the front, one wheel in the back. And then it's like her in this white leisure suit with this ugly brown and orange striped shirt underneath with like her feather. This is like 70s in a snapshot. (laughs) I mean, I'm no like car designer or car engineer, (laughs) but why is there one wheel in the back and two in the front? I don't know. Well, okay. So this is a prototype, right? It was actually like not a real thing. So it was just enough to like dupe people, I'm guessing. Well, it worked. She duped a lot of people out of millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, like, she's the OG Elizabeth Holmes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right? Just with uh, ugly sports cars in the 70s rather than biotech. Yeah, I I don't think that car will run. (laughs) And and it never did. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, interesting. This looks worth watching. Yeah, for sure. The Lady and the Dale, number three on HBO. Did you say good for her? (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) She, the scam, I mean, yeah, I don't feel bad for these rich white assholes that got scammed, but I feel bad for, I don't I, know, it's not good. Shoot. Yeah. It, it's not good. I, I, want, I need to know what happens. Although so. maybe by the time I watch it, I will be rooting for her. I, I don't know. I don't know how she's portrayed in any of that, you know? Yeah. But okay, let's get to the last one. And I'm just going to give it to you because you've been having a hard time the last, the last few. Jeez, thanks. Yeah. No, please. I, I'm at a loss. This one is on Netflix. It's number two, The Phantom. The Phantom. It's a captivating film that, it's a film, this one. I think this is the only, like, film and not a series, if I recall. Uh, It's a captivating film that dives into one of our collective fears. What if you were charged for a crime you never committed? So this is built around a true crime case in the early 80s. Carlos de Luna was charged with killing a gas station attendant, 24-year-old Wanda Lopez, on the evening of February 4th, 1983, in Corpus Christi, Texas. The young woman died from multiple stab wounds, apparently from a buck knife. Hmm. Wanda Lopez was killed while on the phone with the police, having just called 911 to report a suspicious person who turned out to be her killer. The crime was particularly senseless because, according to the 911 tape, Lopez seemed to be giving her attacker the money at the time she was stabbed, saying, you want it, I'll give it to you, I'll give it to you, I'm not going to do nothing to you, please stop. Yeah, Awful. and final words. It was a crime that Carlos LaLuna was charged for and that eventually led to his execution by lethal injection six years later. Which, quick side note, 
He died six years after a crime he might not have even committed, yet Richard Ramirez took like 30 years in, on death row and never even died by. Well, we are talking about Texas here. <laughs> right. This, Your neighbor. That's the key difference. Our neighbors to the south. God yes. bless you, Texas, uh, which <laughs> Ramirez is California, so yeah, big difference, yeah, but yeah. it's just crazy to me. Um, the Phantom seriously considers whether DeLuna, uh, his claims about his own innocence were true. Turns out, well, this documentary makes the case that a similar looking man who lived in a nearby neighborhood was the actual killer. Hmm. I could see how this is at the top of the list. I mean, wrongful conviction stuff is, mm -hmm. um, you know, very important, but also... I guess, trending very well in the true crime content world. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I hate I hate the way that that came out, too. What but... do you think of, like, serial and making a murderer? Yeah, and... yeah. I feel like true crime content, and I think for the better, is starting to steer away a bit from glorifying the serial killer stuff and sort of towards victim-told stories and perspectives and wrongful conviction-type cases to really... Hopefully make people think a little bit more, critically think a little bit more, but this sounds like a horrific case anyway, and if this man was executed for a crime he didn't commit yeah. because, you know, he happened to look like the next brown guy that lived down the street, I mean... The sad reality is I feel very confident saying if this was a white man, guilty or innocent, he would not have been put to death so quickly, six years after committing the crime. I mean... Yeah, I think there's a lot probably flushed out in this documentary, which it, it sounds really interesting. And, and yeah. I wonder if they look into kind of the racism issues of the system and were they just trying to find someone. But how awful, you know, I just think of there's a dispatcher on the phone with this woman when she yes. is pleading for her life and being killed. And, you know, all of that just sounds terrible. Agreed. And to step away for a moment completely and think uh, when I was reading through that summary, I was thinking this case in 1983, like when this case happens, no one knows that it's going to be covered in a documentary, you know, what, 30, 40 years right, later. Right. And it's going to, I don't know what my point is there, but it's just like there's true crime is this endless supply, unfortunately, yeah. of, of material for documentaries and podcasts and books. And it's just, yeah, there's so many interesting cases that we haven't even heard of yet. Yeah, I think that that's the point is like this, how common is something like this? It just takes yeah. a content creator to want to look into it and investigate it. And we can go backwards and we can go forwards because there certainly is no shortage. Yep. So that was the phantom at number two. Speaking of no shortage, Dr. Shiloh, let me give you this top 10 back to you. Let's hear it. We had number 10, Operation Varsity Blues, the college admissions scandal on Netflix. Number nine, Bad Sport on Netflix. Number eight, Murder Among the Mormons on Netflix. Number seven, Night Stalker, The Hunt for a Serial Killer on Netflix. Number six, The Way Down, which was the one, uh, the woman with the weight loss program in the church. That was on HBO Max at number six. Number five is John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise on Peacock. Number four, Lula Rich on Amazon Prime. Number three, The Lady and the Dale on HBO. Number two, the one we just talked about, The Phantom on Netflix. And number one, Alan versus Pharaoh on HBO. This is a really good mix of topics, actually, for true crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got something for everyone. And yeah, I'm looking forward to putting some new ones on my list. Yeah, my, my hope with this, and I think we succeeded, was finding a good mix of some we've seen, some we haven't. And for the listeners, 
uh, even those, because I know I have some listeners on tennis podcasts that aren't really into true crime, but I think when people think of true crime, they think of, you know, Night Stalker, the hunt for a serial killer. Right. But they might be interested in The Way Down or Lula Rich or some of these other true crimes that, you know, aren't quote unquote blood and guts. So I think there's a really good mix on here that has something for everybody. I agree. I agree. That was fun. Yeah. I have one recommendation that didn't make the list, or just okay. a shout out, is The Ripper on Netflix. Oh, That's about that was good. Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. Or, yes, yes. Yeah. Really good series that a lot like the Richard Ramirez documentary we talked about really captures well the panic that was going on in the local community. So The yeah. panic and the women like not wanting to take that bullshit anymore either and take into the streets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Saying to the cops, like, you guys need to get on this because we're dying. Yeah, yeah. that was very good. Yeah, and he got away with it for way too long because yeah. of who he targeted. Right. So, yeah, that's a quick shout out. Uh, is there any... We probably talked through some shout outs you had with your inc- <laughs> with the incorrect guesses, but <laughs> is there any others you want to give a shout wow, out to? Wow, just rubbing it in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not from 2021, but okay. I, I think an underrated true crime documentary that I just love and that is really watchable because it's super short is called The Long Shot. Oh, I saw that one. It takes place in Los Angeles and has to do with the Dodgers and has to do with the entertainment industry. And it could have been a wrongful conviction case, (laughs) but fortunately, Hollywood helps out and someone is not wrongfully accused of a crime. Great, great documentary. It's great, and there's such a good twist on it. And also, I I just watched it fairly recently, so I remember. It's like 45 minutes or less. It's like a Uh one really quick in-and-out documentary, which is a good change of pace compared to like a series or something. So, highly recommend that one, too. It's on Netflix, I think. Yes, it is. It is. Great. Well, Dr. Shiloh, I've taken up enough of your time, but I do want to make sure you have one more chance to plug your podcast What can you tell us about any topics you recently covered or anything coming up that you want to make sure our listeners know about? Sure. Thank you. So my partner in crime, Dr. Scott, he and I host a show called LA Not So Confidential. Let's see. Recently, we talked about catfishing. Love that. One of your best ones, I thought. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Not that we were trying to stay on an animal theme, but we did talk about dog show crimes right after that. (laughs) (laughs) And what we try to do, our sort of formula is that we pick a forensic psychology concept or topic, and then we sort of weave that into true crime content where those things have played a part or have occurred and cover cases, some well-known, some Mm -hmm. not well-known at all. We also like to put a little like entertainment twist on there. So I think that people remember some of these concepts when they can match it with something they've seen in a movie or a film. But our next episode coming out is a very serious topic. We will be talking about the link between domestic violence and mass casualty incidents, like mass shooting incidents. So something there's a problem with here in the United States. Nah. But there's some new research coming out (laughs) on that. And there seems to be a link with folks who have a history of domestic violence. So That's so interesting. And, and that's what I love about your show is like some of the topics are super well-known things that, I'm trying to think of an example, but like serial killers is like, you know, something a lot of true crime podcasts cover, but like catfishing or the dog show stuff right. or what you just talked about, you're not going to hear that on other podcasts. And it's 
talked about with such great research and insight. So yeah, I just can't say enough good things about your podcast. And I want to wrap up by reading this quote. I found it on your website from a listener, but I think it perfectly encapsulates what works so well about your podcast. It says, it's like getting to overhear forensic psychologists chatting on their lunch break with the sides to explain the more technical terms. And I just thought, like, that's it right there. That's the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we aim for. We just felt there was a void out there in the podcast world, the true crime world of people in our positions talking about this stuff. And it's incredibly interesting or a complete turnoff topic at dinner parties. So we thought, what's our own platform where we can bring it to people that actually want to hear it? <laughs> hey, well, we love turnoff topics here on the Tennis Podcast, as you know. Don't I know it? That's why you guys are my favorite. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. This was so much fun. And I'm excited to hear who else you have guest hosting while I am simultaneously missing the hell out of Brandon. So yeah, you and me both that that big old lug. (laughs) You know, I recorded just recently before you the first episode that will come out after our break. And multiple times I called the person Brandon, I would like to start talking and I'd be like, Brandon, here's the thing. Or Brandon, what do you think? And <laughs> probably 10 times I did that. So, I mean, I've been doing it with him for four years, so it's going to happen. I but know. Luckily, well, you came here. Um, I, I liked you brought some cooties into the, the boys clubhouse here, our first lady Seriously. presence on the show. <laughs> I didn't know if that was ever going to happen, but I am happy to have broken that seal and we'll yeah. see what's next. So, thanks so much, Nick. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Shiloh. Check out LA Not So Confidential. And the listeners, thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought of the documentaries. And if there's any obvious ones that were left off the list, let us know that too. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, at TennisPod. Till next time, I'll see you next week with a new guest sidekick host for episode 162. Goodbye.